This morning, we're going to follow back where we were in Matthew last week. Jesus is told that John the Baptist is passing away, or has passed away. And to say has passed away is a bit peaceful way to say it. Actually, John the Baptist has been executed. And as we read about that story, it says that Jesus tried to withdraw. And as he tried to withdraw, remember we talked about him going across the water to find a place to withdraw, to find somewhere solitude for himself. And when he got there, what was waiting on him? Do you remember? The crowds, right? Like the crowds were there waiting on him. That They had seen where he was headed. And if you remember the water that he crossed, it's not necessarily that big. And the expectation is, as he was going across the water, they pretty much just kind of walked the hills and the sides and met him there when he arrived. And so when he gets over there, he doesn't have the solitary and the quiet place. As a matter of fact, he shows up. And another thing that you'll probably remember about his story, it said that, that Jesus had, as we would say, an, an emotion uh, for them. He had compassion, right? He saw their needs. And even though he was needing to withdraw, he had compassion on them. And he begins to heal their sick. He begins to, to, to teach and, 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 and be in discussion with them. Uh, this is another part of that story. And the thing we focused on the most is that as he got there in the evening fell, you remember that the disciples are saying, Jesus, you need to send these people away. It's time to eat. They need to go back to the villages and go find something to eat. And Jesus says to them those words, you feed them. Remember that? And putting the responsibility back on them in that, in that exact moment. And that story continues on as we know. Jesus takes the gift of what we read in John, the gift of a, of a young boy breaks bread and everyone is fed because of that generous gift, uh, offering uh, of what he had, and Jesus turns it into something amazing. Well, when that, when that story ends, you begin to get the picture that those who were there begin to disperse a bit, and as they're kind of going back and, and he's kind of greeting people, it seems like finally Jesus gets the time to do what he originally came to that side of the water for in the first place. He finally gets the opportunity to go away and to pray. And as a matter of fact, sometimes when we think about going to a place to pray, I'm not sure what your, uh, your experience is. When you think about kind of retiring away to spend some time with the Heavenly Father, is that measured for you in minutes, seconds, or hours? You know, that, that bit of, of being away, that, that time like, I need some time to pray. I would imagine that many of us would probably characterize our time to go away and pray probably in minutes. There may be a few of us that do, that do hours, but dominantly, people when they just think about a prayer, their prayer is normally measured by minutes. And I need you to picture this. When the disciples, as they fed them. It was getting later in the day, as you remember. You get the picture that they're pushing off somewhere in the late evening. And it says that Jesus was there and praying, and his next encounter was near dawn. You understand? Like, his next encounter. So, we get the picture that Jesus didn't withdraw and pray for a few minutes and, you know, have a small prayer up on the mountainside, but that he spent hours up communing, fellowshipping, being with the Heavenly Father. And then as he leaves from that, this is the part of the story I want us to focus on this morning. I also want you to, to see, we're going to have a, a little bit more of a broad biblical discussion over the, the Gospels that are being told. Note that this next story, the one where Jesus encounters them out on the water, is told by three Gospels. It's told by Mark, John, and Matthew. Matthew 14 is our text. And if you want to turn there, we'll be reading the Matthew 14 text in just a few moments. But I think it's worthwhile when you talk about one of these stories, go into the other Gospels and say, like, what do you remember about this? What, what do they remember? What do they note? I also think it's important to tell you, if you haven't kind of put this together, the Gospels as we call them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written mostly by people who were there, and if they weren't, people who were directly told of those stories, okay? And so when you're reading about these three Gospels, it's kind of like, have you ever sat around with old friends telling stories of maybe your high school days or adventures when you were younger? You ever had someone tell you a story and you're like, oh, I'd forgotten all about that. Yeah, and like you begin to tell those things. So picture in your mind, 
Probably the best way for us is these people feeling compelled by the Holy Spirit to write down their stories of what they remembered about the stories of Jesus. And as they write those down, it's interesting that some of them remember certain parts, or better yet, they decide that this is worth telling. This is more important to tell. Because part of these stories, you'll get the, a little bit more uh, broad picture. As a matter of fact, in the feeding of the 5,000 we read yesterday, do you remember that it was one gospel that says where the bread and the fish came from? Remember? It's the little details that the, that the different writers remember. All all inspired by the Holy Spirit to write their stories, but they write the different portions. And so sometimes it's good to go back and look. And you read this in Mark where the same story is being told. And Mark does a little bit better job of talking about how when they were traveling and trying to leave and go to the next location that they found themselves against contrary winds. That doesn't speak a lot to the, to the year 2023. Anybody in this room actually been sailing? Like with legit sails? Raise your hand again so I can see. About six. There you go. That's what I expected. Not very many. Many, right? Like that's not a normal thing because normally what we do when we get ready to go somewhere, we turn a key or push a button and a motor fires up and then we push to wherever we're going to go. You know, like that's how we operate. And in their world, you're picturing something very different using when to push them many, many times. And in this story where your mind needs to go for them is that a very common thing we've learned about over, over years of studying this part of the world and also uh, the biblical time frame. It was known for unexpected squalls, as they would call them. Unexpected windstorms that would come up. That makes perfect sense in 2023 in Tennessee, amen? Yeah, just like around here, you have no idea what's going to happen, right? I don't care what the meteorologist says. Kids, if you're listening today and you want a job that requires no responsibility and no accuracy, go into meteorology, okay? Super, super easy thing to do. You can say whatever you want and nobody really believes it and they keep listening to you on the news. So it doesn't really, you know, just carry on with that. Life lessons has nothing to do with the Bible this morning. When you read about these, they, they were experiencing one of those, and, and, and they were rowing, trying to get to their destination, trying to, to push through those winds, struggling, tired, and needing help. John records a part of the story as well, but he also records an, an interesting interaction with people as Jesus is dealing with this, both in the landing destination and in the, the takeoff, if you will. And one of those I think is worth noting is uh, the, the people who, you know, after Jesus had done these things, the people were doing things that are kind of common. When you do something amazing for people, or you or you provide, or you do something incredible for them, historically people will say things like, you need to be our king. You need to be in charge. Great military leaders time and time again are put in, in major positions, uh, political positions oftentimes, and it seems like that's what the people were trending to do. And Jesus was saying like, this is, I'm, I'm not here for this. Like, that's not what I came for. As a matter of fact, I think it's worth noting in John 6, 27, in, in the same story being told, this conversation is noted by John. He says to them, you're looking for me not because of the signs I performed. And when he talks about not because of the signs I performed, we believe that to indicate the signs to show you I'm the Messiah. You're not looking for me because of the things I did to show you I'm the Messiah. But he continues, but because you had your fill. What they have their fill from, remember? This is that story from eating, exactly right. Do not work. This is an interesting phrase he uses. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. You see the point? Jesus is talking about them. You didn't come here. You came here because you, you had your fill once. You came here because of you got something to eat and you, and you had that immediate need. But understand what I came here for is something so much bigger than this. It reminds me, and this is a shameless advertisement for our Wednesday night Bible study. I know not everyone's schedule allows for this, but I'm just telling you, Wednesday night, we're, um, 
it's more amenable to us having deep conversations about biblical story uh, and, and struggling with the text in different ways. We can open up conversations better than we can in a monologue delivery on a Sunday morning. And so on Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night, we had a really good discussion going. And one of the things we talked about, I'll give a shout out to my good friend Don Allsbrooks, who's uh, here in the nine o'clock service this morning. Uh, Don brought up a very good question and asking, you know, I wish sometimes, he said, and I was agreeing with him, I wish sometimes that God would do something just so obvious that our world, our country, people around us would have no other choice but to say, that is the one true God. Don, you remember that conversation? I appreciate you backing me up this morning. This would be awkward if you didn't remember it. Okay. But in that conversation, we're, we're talking about it. And I said, Don, I agree. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if God would do something amazing, like just to prove himself to us again? And Don, I've spent time, for whatever reason, that from our Wednesday night stuck with me. And I began to spend time with it. And I was also spending time with that thought process in the, in the grapplings with this text as well. And I started to recognize... Has that ever really worked? I mean, how many times has God done something to show us who He is as, as creation? And oh, so quickly we forget who He is because we're looking for the next miraculous thing to take place. Just from a, from a productivity standpoint, I know that's not always the best way to look at things, but God convincing us of Himself, it hasn't worked in His favor to do amazing things for us. Case in point, look back at the Israelites coming out of Egypt. I will, I've heard your cries for years. I have delivered you from that. And now that I have helped you, we read about them not very long, camped between Migdal and the sea near Pi-Haharoth, asking Moses, did you bring us out here into the, into the desert to die because there were not enough graves in Egypt? Remember that story? They have a short memory. And I would argue this morning, like, so do we. So as much as I would like to say, God, just do something here that would prove yourself to us again, do it again. It's not been something that has, that has really paid off in spades for God in the past. I don't know that, that our bargaining with God for something like that warrants His movement because it's not like this has been an effective tool of his to do something miraculous because by and large we as people don't really have a good track record of changing everything about us because God did something miraculous. And he speaks to them in this text about how you keep coming back looking for this short-term answer, but you, you need to be looking for that which endures, that which is of eternal life. See the bigger picture here and what I actually came to accomplish. It's not necessarily, not that God won't answer these, these feeding of our bellies in this story, okay? The proverbial feeding us, but it's to say that that's not the purpose of why God is here in, in, in general. I think there's a, a solid thing in the nature of how we see God in this, not necessarily our Santa Claus in the stars, understand? Not the thing that we make our wishes to, that he'll give us what we want a couple of times a year but that He came to offer us eternal life, and He's playing the long, the long game. This is the things that are going on and the things He's trying to communicate here. And you'll see that theme resurface here in just a minute. As a matter of fact, as we read the Matthew 14 text, I want you to remember a, a, a fact. It's a statement that we'll go back to a couple of times, but it's something that speaks back to that dialogue with those individuals, but also speaks to the nature of this portion of story. I need you to hear this phrase, today's chaos has never been conquered by yesterday's faith. Hear me again. Today's chaos has never been conquered by yesterday's faith. Understand that maybe a little bit better as we go through the text. If you would, stand with me this morning. You can look at the screens if you'd like or turn to Matthew 14 there uh, in your Bible, whether that's digital form or paper form. I'll be reading from the screens this morning. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night he was there alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind that was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be 
afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, crying out to God, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and called him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. God, we come before you this morning. If last week was in the top 10 of stories that we've read, God, we recognize this morning, this one has to be alongside it in those top 10 stories of Jesus. God, the stories that movies make lines and quotes about. God, the the one that continues to be a, a running fad of statement of walking on water. God, we pray this morning that you would speak to us clearly through a text that has been spoken thousands and thousands of times. Yet we recognize this morning that you would like to communicate with us through something that may seem quite familiar. Speak to us this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to jump into this text and also reference something from last week. If you were not here last week, I apologize. The reference may not make exactly enough sense. That may be enough reason to go back into our podcast and listen. But I need to welcome you into what I'll call this morning Tiger Talk. Does that sound right? Remember last week, the difference between Tiger Talk and Donkey Discussion this morning, I'll welcome you into something that I would classify as as Tiger Talk. And it'll be something that may stretch you a little bit in the way that you think about the Bible, only because I think it's important as you grow in your faith to read people and to read commentary, to read individuals who comment and who who extrapolate uh, how the Bible is, is being used or how the Bible, the stories are there, because every now and then we'll encounter something that people see things a bit differently. And if you don't engage those conversations in a good and healthy way, you'll not be able to handle working through some of the problematic or or harder to understand places. This is a necessary exercise. We should be people who work through some of the more difficult conversations to have. And so I want to tell you this morning, there are credible individuals out there that when it comes to this passage, they don't like dealing with it very much. And the main reason they don't like dealing with it is because it doesn't line up with their rational understanding of who Jesus is. You need to know there are individuals out there who will have very, uh, they'll be able to, co- to create very convincing arguments, uh, very compelling arguments about how this text that is being used here, the, the verbiage even in the Greek that's being used here, is one that talks about Jesus walking on the water, is one that really references Jesus walking near the sea, that they would, they would cite that, you know, sometimes the word for own water is also the word used for near or at instead of own. And so they begin to diminish a bit or, or maybe take away from the fact that Jesus is walking on the water. If you ever encounter that, I invite you, like, I think you should again. I think you should engage those, those, those things that conflict maybe how you've read a story for a long time. It's okay to engage them and ask good questions and think critically about this. The problem I have, and it's unfortunate that some of the scholars I've consulted for years and appreciated will find themselves on the other side of the coin than I will. I wish that they would stick more closely to a, to a more literal reading of this text. And the reason I think that is it's a, bit, it's a bit ludicrous to me to believe that Jesus Christ was sent here as God and man, that he was sent here to die on a cross, to be raised from the dead on the third day, and to be our Savior for all of eternity, but you have problems believing He can walk on water? Does that not seem a bit humorous? Like, okay, He's the Savior of the world, but walking on water is just too much. You know what I mean? Like, that makes no sense to me. And and if you want to, hey, if you want to have that conversation and want to go down that road, absolutely go down that road, have that conversation all you want. I'll even discuss it with you, but I want you to know it's hard for me to take you seriously when you begin to negate the miracles of Christ. Okay, It's hard for me to, to, to take you seriously when you begin to negate. I just don't believe that fits the laws of modern physics. You know who made the laws of my physics? You know, like, come on, y'all. You know, so anyway, 
All that to say, engage in, in conversations with people who may not see. And if you ever read this story and you're curious about it and you're reading from commentaries from some very trusted people, all right, also know that sometimes you may find yourself on the other side of the coin, especially if you, like myself, have no problems reading this, that Jesus was quite literally walking across the water. When I read this story, zero hesitation in me to say, was he over at the shore? Really, in the grand scheme of things, I, I'm not going to say, like, I care, but I don't care. But as I read the story, I'm much more confident that this is a Jesus actually walking on top of water coming toward the toward the disciples, toward this boat. And another part of that is because of Peter's interaction. You understand, like, it doesn't line up well with the very definitive way that Peter steps out of the boat. So it's just, I only want to acknowledge that for a moment to say that there are, there are, you need to be stretched from time to time and know that those conversations come up. Is this real? How real is this? Those sorts of things. But as you, as you read this, regardless of your opinion, one of the things that you need to see about the story is that these individuals have been rowing for a very, very long time. They've been rowing, as we read, likely well into the night, if not all night. As a matter of fact, in most of the accounts we read, what time of day is this encounter taking place? Near dawn. Put yourself in this same perspective for a little while. After, after working late into a night, many of you in this room have come from either swing shifts or you've come from uh, employment where sleep sometimes is not, not a granted. You know what I mean? Like uh, you've also had jobs, some of you do things in which when things come undone, you have to stay. If you work in a hospital environment, you understand. You sign a contract. I did it as well. You sign a contract that if snow or, or acts of God happen, you're contractually obligated to stay on property and continue working until your relief can get there. You know, we, many of us have worked or work in those jobs this takes place. And when you get later into the night and even into the early morning hours, let me just tell you, you don't always think straight. You know what I mean? Like, you're not always able to see things correctly. Like, sometimes you, you, you lose a little bit of a track of time. As a matter of fact, I can remember working in a, in a facility in Nashville, Tennessee, in which I was asked to stay later because the, the shift that was coming in uh, after me was unable to stay. And so they asked me to stay through the night. And I was supposed to go up and work on an adolescent unit. I worked for about five years in a psychiatric facility that had anywhere from teenagers all the way to uh, dementia also. Alzheimer's patients, 128 beds in that facility. And I can remember one night being assigned to the adolescent unit, which some of you who work in that environment are about to hear the atrocity of, of, of what's going on here. I was asked to work in an adolescent unit by myself. That's a horrible thing. I didn't realize how horrible that was when I was 22, but I'm telling you right now, it's a horrible thing to be on an adolescent unit by yourself for the night. I remember the director of nurse of nursing telling me, hey, I'll come back and check on you from time to time. So my job was to sit. If you can imagine a unit that was shaped like a piece of pie, my unit, my job was to sit in the point of it so I could see down in front of a table with a chair behind me and a phone, and I was told, if a patient comes out of their room, you call us immediately. That was my, and I'm going to tell you, sometimes at first from like 11 to 7 was that shift. 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, not that bad. But there's something people call the wall. You familiar? It's when thing, your body just decides like, nope, I'm done with this day. Time to shut it down. And it doesn't matter what you do. You know what I mean? Like, you're, it is hard for you sometimes to like to see past it because you get so tired and so weary. I can remember, uh, some of you would also recognize this. Have you ever looked at a digital clock on a wall and the numbers are doing this? I had a, uh, a medical professional tell me one time that is from your brain being so tired it's having trouble computing the snapshots that it's taking. If you know how your eyes work and communicate with your brain, it's in snapshots. That your, uh, that your eyes are having trouble communicating with your brain because you're so tired and it looks like things are moving. They're not moving. It's just that you're worn out. You see the microwave numbers doing this, you need to take a nap. That's what they told me. Like That's the problem. I remember sitting there and sometimes you can drift off. Matter of fact, that's one of the scariest moments in that entire five years of working there. I can remember opening my eyes, and when I did, there was a 13-year-old girl eight feet in front of me doing this. And like, I'm, I'm sitting here like this, and all of a sudden I'm like, <gasps> and she goes, are you okay? And I was like, yes, go back to your room. <laughs> are you okay? <laughs> like, and I'm like, I'm reaching for the phone, that kind of stuff. Like, I'm just saying, 
it gets late in the night. You understand what they think they see when they see Jesus? They've been rowing and they're tired. All these things are like, folks, there's a beautiful point that's being made in this about this text. They've been struggling through the night. Jesus does show up, but he doesn't show up more times than not. Jesus doesn't show up when the struggle begins. Recognize this. How many years did the Israelites crowd in Egypt before God comes to deliver them? How many times are people in places of struggle and they're working through the struggle? And this morning, the reason I would circle back to that conversation of whether or not God was walking by the shore out on the water regardless of where he was, no matter which side of that coin you want to be on this morning, I need you to recognize that in their struggle, Jesus shows up to help. Understand that? That Jesus shows up to be there with them, to be there for them, and ultimately to help them through the struggle. And I need you to hear that this morning. You may be enduring chaos right now, wondering where Jesus is, and I just need you to see that it's consistent in the text, that Jesus doesn't always pop up as soon as struggle happens. I mean, think back how many times they sent for Jesus when people were dying, and he shows up days later, and they're dead. They worked through struggle before Jesus ever arrives on the scene to respond to it whatsoever. So this morning, maybe maybe a lesson of patience is something to be learned even in the story, that, that in our chaos, in our chaos, sometimes God doesn't show up immediately. Another part of the story that just jumps out, and I want to circle back to that phrase I used earlier, that today's chaos is not conquered by yesterday's faith. Think for just a moment, when they encounter Jesus and they think it's a ghost out there and they're, they're seeing him in those wee hours of the mornings, I mean, our eyes play tricks on us sometimes when we're tired and they're trying to process through that, but once they realize who it is, Peter makes the statement of, if it is you, then call me out on the water to you. Have you ever wondered, what was the first step like? Um, how many of you every year when it's time to jump in a pool, there are two different ways of getting into the pool for the first of the year. How many of you are the toe dabblers, okay? And how many of you are the rip the band-aid off, it's just time to go for it, all right? How many toe dabblers? Acknowledge it. How many of you are the diving board people? Yeah, I'm going to tell you, I don't understand how this right here, and then you, then you step out a little bit and you get a little bit lower, and then you step a little bit more and you get a little bit lower. It's just pain every six inches. You know what I mean? Like, just jump in, get it over with. You know what I mean? It's a whole lot better. These cold creeks, we swim around here the exact same way. Just jump in and get over with. I've wondered before, when it comes time to step on the rail and hold the foot over to get into the water, there's a balancing act. But eventually, you have to throw that leg over, you know? So does he like... I'm going to do something that may seem very sacrilegious. Just pause me for a moment. The altar for a moment will be the water, okay? After that, it'll go back to being a holy relic. But for right now, it's going to be the water, okay? He reaches over, and you ever wonder, like, does he, does he tap on it a minute? You know what I mean? Like, push down to see if it's springy or not? Ultimately, though, he has to be at a place. He has to be at a place where today's faith allows him to step out of that boat. Understand? Because how he's trusted God in the past, it influences this, but it doesn't conquer this. So, like, this is the next step. Committing to this of what Jesus called him to, committing to it. Yes, he has trusted Jesus and God in the past, but in this moment, there has to be the moment that to conquer this chaos, it has to be solved by today's faith. In this moment, I have to trust God. Folks, when I use the word chaos, I know some of you, you're, you You've been in these discussions in the past and you recognize the symbolism of what's taking place. Anytime, or I should say the vast majority of the times that you read about water as we talk about it in biblical era, what are the words that are synonymous with water in their time frame? What are the words that are synonymous with water? Chaos, absolutely. The abyss is another one. Like folks, you're talking about people that believed everything that was evil, that's where it hid, that's where it was inhabited. Do you remember when Jesus cast out the demon? Remember the one that said, he said, what is your name? And the answer is, we are legion for we are many. And when he casts him out, where do those demons first go? Into living beings, right? What were the living beings? Pigs. And then where do they run? home. Understand, like, that's what's being communicated here. Those, they're running back home because in their world, the belief was that all evil is down in the depths and the darkness and the chaos. So when you read this story, folks, if you've read it a hundred times, and this has been something that you've been aware of, or this is the first morning, regardless, find yourself in a place this morning being reminded of or being taught for the first time 
that Jesus is symbolically standing on top of the chaos and the unknown. He's inviting Peter to trust him in that step, to step over the boat, to have today's faith in such a way that he also can join Jesus in stepping on the water. This story is so beautiful with imagery, with the, the pictures of what Jesus is trying to communicate. And one of the things that takes place, we would be a, a, a horrible thing not to mention, that it is a picture of Jesus asking us to stand out and to tread upon that which we are maybe afraid of, that, that thing that, that, that scares or concerns us. I'm reminded years ago on a mission trip, I had a crazy opportunity to spend about 36 hours in Paris on my way to a country in Africa for a mission trip. Remember our our uh, uh, planner, the one who was taking care of all of our itinerary, called me back and we were having trouble making some airlines match up. And she said, Daniel, for about a hundred bucks a person, I can give you 36 hours in Paris. I don't know if that intrigues you or not. Otherwise, you're going to spend nine hours sitting in the Paris airport. That's the best I can do right now based on the flights to get you to this tiny country. And she said, so like you can sit in an airport for nine hours and get there, you know, after being in airports this long, or you can have two nights and one full day in Paris for your team on the way to your mission trip. And for a hundred bucks, who's not going to take the opportunity to see one of the world icons that the, the, from Notre Dame to the Eiffel Tower and all those sorts of things, you know, like, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. And so we stay there. And I remember getting on this, this bus and this van and riding around and, and you could take like the, the tour in a day essentially and, and the things we got to see and, and, and just be a part of. But in one portion of that bus trip, I can remember we were driving past their, their palace uh, is the, I believe is the word that they use, but it's huge gates out front, gorgeous building being created. And they were talking about hundreds of years ago when, a, when an opposing army came back and took over Paris and took over what was where their palaces, where the fort was years and years ago. And they came in and took over what is Paris today. They took took over the fort. They built their own fort there, and the French took a while to be able to muster up and to regain their abilities to go back and take the fort back. It's where their palace is today. And when we were riding on the van, I can remember feeling, not a van, it was one of those double-decker buses like you've seen on, on TV. We're on that bus, and I can remember the road being very, very rough. Like you're just kind of like rocking around, rocking, going through this section. And as we're approaching that in, in, in that neck of the city, the tour guide says, the road that you're traveling on was actually built from the enemy's fort. The road that you're traveling on, when, when the French came back and took over from the enemy, they leveled the enemy's fort and used the cobblestone and the rocks from it to build a road. And I love this phrase, so that the enemy would be trampled underfoot for all of eternity. You understand what it means to stand on something? I've conquered it. You're hearing this phrase coming back? Today's chaos is never conquered by yesterday's faith. Jesus was inviting Peter out of this boat, standing on the proverbial chaos. That you also need to understand in this, and this part is not rocket science. It's very, very obvious. Even as Peter is doing what is right to follow Jesus, he is susceptible for not paying attention and finding himself making poor decisions by looking away. He's susceptible. It's one of the things I, I think is necessary for us in our humility of faith. I had a great discussion with our uh, greeters who are on the back porch. I enjoy that time. Um, Brian and Randy especially. Sunday mornings we spend time on the back porch talking back here. Uh, we enjoy greeting people, welcoming, uh, opening the doors, all that kind of stuff, but we always have some good banter going back and forth. And, and one of those discussions that we had was, was uh, airing toward this same conversation. It was being reminded and, and needing to stay humble because folks, no matter who you are, where you've come from or what you've accomplished, you're not, you're not bulletproof. Um, not nearly as bulletproof. I'll speak from the male gender perspective. Gentlemen that are now in their 35 range and beyond. Do you remember when you were 18, 20, and 25 and felt like you could jump off of anything? I remember jumping off of stuff. Folks, I hate to admit like how high I've jumped off of things. And I'm going to tell you somewhere between the year 2000 and the year 23, God has made the earth harder. And I'm, I'm saying when I jump off, I don't go down faster because I'm definitely not a whole lot heavier than I used to be. 
but the world comes up faster and hits me. You know what I mean? Like, that's what happens. The world comes up and hits me faster. And, and man, what a, great, what a great reminder to stay humble and recognize we are fallible people. And we work diligently to be Christ-like. But this beautiful imagery of even while following Jesus, if we don't keep our eyes focused, we can very easily become distracted by the waves and the chaos and the winds around us. And this morning, you may have walked yourself into this sanctuary very distracted and maybe even overwhelmed by the chaos that's taking place in the world around you. The things that are happening in such a way that you may feel a bit frustrated, also a bit helpless, or a bit like life is a bit chaotic. And I need you to be reminded this morning of this text. In order for you to conquer the chaos, it has to be done by today's faith and trusting Jesus today. In the midst of what you're going through, in the midst of whatever it is that you see, in the midst of your, of your uncertainties, I'll say it one more time. Today's chaos is not conquered by yesterday's faith. It has to come with us in today. It has to be what continues to compel us. And so this morning, what a beautiful, very normal approach to this text, but what a beautiful ending to say, it may be time for some of us, maybe time for some of us to step out of that boat. Recognizing the chaos in our life, step out of that boat and recognize that Jesus will be with us. The same Jesus has been with us in the past, will be with us in the future as we step out in today's faith and trust Him to guide and direct us. 